If you're going to be at Nice for the Men's Ironman World Championships, then come and join me on the Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night of race week for my live podcasts. We're going to be doing the podcast at 6 to 7 p.m. each of those nights leading into the race, which is on the Sunday. Each night is limited to 50 people, and tickets to them have just become available right now. And the link to get those tickets is in the description of this episode. So click on it. It's really easy to follow. Um, And if you do want to come with people, like if you want to come with your partner or some friends or people that you're there racing with uh, and you want to grab them a ticket, just make sure you grab each individual person a ticket because there really is only space for about 50 people in the venue. So if you don't have a ticket at the door, you just won't be allowed in, unfortunately. I do wish I could have more people than that. But that's why we're doing the three podcasts and not just one so that more people can come. But if you want to come to two of the nights or three of the nights, also very happy for you to do that. First in best dress with the tickets. So um, yeah, I can't wait to do them. I'm really excited. I've never done a live podcast before. I think it's going to be so fun. I've got some massive guests lined up, some friends of the show, um, some little controversial things as well, and and some really like fun, exciting things planned for it that you're only going to get to see if you're there. So yeah, I'm excited. I hope you, you are too, and I, I really can't wait to see you there. We often spend our time following a big race talking to the winners, the people that had career-changing days and celebrating performances. But today I decided I wanted to talk about the other side of triathlon. Steve McKenna, who's one of the show's all-time good friends, went to Europe for a six-week training camp to prepare solely for the Ironman 70.3 World Championships. He was all in for the race, I think, and he ended up having a really bad day and Quite, a, quite an evident bad day because it was from right at the start. Like it didn't happen deep into the half marathon. It was pretty much from as soon as the race started. So Steve is here joining us today to talk about what happened, what went wrong and everything in between. Steve, the floor is yours. Thanks, Jack. And if there's any screaming from a young child, this is a family affair. I um, had, Lauren and Winnie have given me a lot in the last six weeks and it's time to go to Singapore for three days and give them a lot. So this is my last sort of before turning the phone off and giving back to the girls um, little triathlon talk and they're going to be involved. Well, Winnie won't do much, but Lauren, she was there for this whole training block and she saw exactly what went wrong. She picked up on it three weeks and two weeks out from the race and I ignored. Um, I'd say my coach, Tim Reed picked up on it too. Um, you know, continued to ask and worry that I was going to push it too far worried that you know his biggest fear is always that I push things too far but with with life back home um it's pretty easy of time I'm more time limited so so I can't really push it as far as I did this trip and I had I had the extra time and I should have spent it recovering but um as you'll see in this talk um Lauren agrees massively that uh I took it two to three steps too far once I was already in a hole and the mindset was, this is the world champs. Let's do this. Um, you know, I, and, and this is a silly way to start it, but I, and it's not at all why I did this. I was just crazy excited, crazy motivated, fitter than I've ever been. Um, and I just kept pushing. Um, but I did actually have a, a Chinese fortune cookie not too long ago. And it said, if you want to win something, 
i.e. a race, you have to go a bit crazy. And I was like, I, was, I, I, I didn't actually think about that in my training block, but I really, now I, I've just, you know, you can't ever sleep after a good or bad race. Um, and I thought about that just last night and I'm like, God, <laughs> I really took that and ran with it, didn't I? Um, and you know, you know, I, I, I liken it to Maxie Newman's period where he, he did go a bit crazy. Remember when he, you had that, um, podcast with him and he had, um, he had just started improving out of sight on the bike particularly, but you know, across the board and he was winning big or doing big things, starting to do big things before the PTO tour happened. Um, it was probably after his fourth at the world champs Kona. And yeah, he told you about how he went a bit crazy and did all those, you know, longer sessions and kept going and going. And, and I, I remember in that period and that clicked for me, I was like, Oh, that's why he had a few races where it was just like, where was Max? Um, and it was like Geelong for me. I saw him just, you know, have nothing much on the bike and then just run real slow. And he finished the race, but he would seem to be in a hole. And it might, I liken it to this situation because two weeks later he did Shepparton and he destroyed us. Um, he was dominant in that race. And that was only two weeks later. So I thought, how can he be like that on one week and that on the, um, you know, just two weeks later? And I think he was just, he had, you know, how he'd upped his training and it was just, you know, you're learning. And he probably learned then that um, during this improvement period where you do a lot more or you push as hard as you possibly can to improve in certain areas in a short amount of time or just generally improve, he probably learned that um, it can come with some inconsistency. And um, I finally had some time in Switzerland and I just went for it. and. Um, what I've done is I've, 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 you had this like really deep fatigue at some point, like maybe two weeks ago, would you say Lauren? Yeah. Two weeks ago. And I was walking in the morning just to the coffee machine and I was completely out of breath and we're at, we were at attitude, but the intensity mixed with, um, with the volume, I was, um, I was just panting, just getting to the coffee machine. And I was very, very out of breath until I started training again. And then it happened about three days in a row. And and my big downfall as an athlete in an athlete-coach relationship is my communication. And a big one also is my, 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 my communication of fatigue, that is. And then my, you know, admitting even to myself that I'm fatigued and I need to go easy today. I would see the sessions and I would just, I would just push and I would push it probably, you know, over what was prescribed as well by the coach. So... So it's, it's either I'm probably frustrating to coach, but I'm, it's, it's been a big learning curve. What happened yesterday, how, um, you can want something so bad that you do, you think you're doing everything right. And you're doing even more than you, you wanted to do. And, and it was really cool to talk to some pros like Sam Long and, and even Yuri this morning. Um, what's Yuri's last name? He, he came six yesterday. Um, and he and everyone's saying, "Oh, are you racing in two weeks' time? Because you'll go really well then." You know, there's this like, if you have completely overtrained, but you were so confident that you was you're like, "I'm going to win this race. I'm going to win this race. Oh my god, I'm fitter than I've ever been by a mile." But then you've pushed it too far. And and Sam Long actually said to me after the race yesterday, and he laughed and he said, "I have been there many times. I said I'm going to win this race by like ten minutes, and he DNFs." And then two weeks later has this incredible race. So 
um, people are like, are you racing in two weeks? You got to. So it's a, you know, it's a common lesson people have learned I'm finding. Um, and this is my learning and it sucks that it was at the world champs that I cared so much about and it really does hurt. But there's one positive and that's that I have taken strength and fitness um, to a new level and I, I can't wait to show it off, but it just, it really does suck that it, it I'm going home to do sunny coast 7.3. It'd be awesome to win, but it would have been way more awesome to have done well at the world champs. And I do have Lauren here to tell that sort of perspective of a partner in a training block, trying to talk some sense into the athlete who just will not stop. So let's do this this way. Cause I'm actually really interested in hearing Lauren's perspective on this. Maybe you tell me, Steve, what were you actually doing? Like, cause you, I think a lot of athletes say this, oh, I was doing too much, but it's like hard to know what, what were you actually doing? Like what isn't too much and what is too much? And like, what was the line that you were crossing and, and how were you crossing it? So maybe if you could talk to me about that, cause I think that's actually really helpful for people as well. And then it would be really great to hear Lauren's perspective on how obvious was it that you were doing too much? How obvious was it that you were sort of burying yourself in a hole? What signs did she see? What, why did she think that? Um, so yeah, let's do it like that. Cool. I'll, I'll start with what I, I'll give one example or two that I, you know, I'd get up in the morning and I'd be really overtired and you just, you can, you, every athlete can feel their legs, do a little squat, walk to the coffee machine and know that there's a deep fatigue there and that that hard session you got today is going to be tough. So what I would do is probably just have an extra coffee that morning because my motivation and eagerness was so, so high that I went and did the pres- you know prescribed hard session, which might be, I'm, I'm going to make one up, but, but, you know, a bike session, a, you know, a brick, a bike session into a hard run that I was using the track a bit because I was running a bit harder. We're trying to push make or break sort of training block. Um, and Reedy did say multiple times, like, it's in there. It's very tough. It's make or break. But at the second that you think it's too much, tell me and don't do that session and go easy. And, um, you know, you can, you know, these things as an athlete. And if you're, if I'm telling someone as a coach, I would tell them, you know, do as I say, not as I do, because I would never tell someone to do what I did, but I was like, it's only four weeks. It's the world chance. So for example, if there was like, I don't know, two times 30 minute efforts at, um, you know, maybe 270 to 290 Watts, I'd probably do it at 300 to 310 Watts. So I'd go over just, um, out of, I don't know why I was like, no, I'm going harder. I'm going harder. And then I would, you know, if it was a four hour ride, it was probably ending up around four hours, 45. Um, and then I would run off the bike and I'd probably push a little harder than, you know, it's meant to be race pace or something, something like that. And I'd probably, it, I wouldn't admit to myself that this was hurting a little bit more than it was, but th- there was one session, one day where I was like, no, nah, I sucked my numbers and this is crazy how easy that was. But then I'm, most of the other ones, I was going over the prescribed effort um, and I could have just communicated more with with Reedy about, um, hey, man, let's bump it up a bit. I'm feeling really good or um, or I shouldn't have done that today. I made a mistake. It's um, it's you know, big lessons are learnt, and I I will improve on that area because the taper would have come earlier if I had said how tired I was. And and Lauren, if you want to take over, what did you see 
on those three days where you knew it was I was overcooked and it's time to taper? Hey. <laughs> um yeah, so I think it was really obvious to me that Stephen had definitely overdone it. Um, but telling Stephen to pull back on anything is really difficult. Um, and he doesn't take well to being told not to do as much. Um, for me, I think the biggest signs were often we'll lay down with Winnie, um, read a book at night in the bed, and then to get her to go to sleep, I would start telling a silly story about something, just nonsense. Um, and Stephen would be knocked out, snoring his head off um, within two minutes, um, and Winnie would still be <laughs> wide awake. Um, so I think, you know, obviously he was just exhausted every day, which I guess you can understand. Um, but another thing was just um, complaining and he is a bit of a complainer anyway. So I guess, you know, I just thought maybe he was just doing his usual <laughs> complaining. Um, but the, but it did ramp up a lot and, um, you know, he's always one to offer to carry bags and help carry things up the stairs. And, um, I noticed that that was happening less and less. Um, and he was, you know, struggling yeah just to even walk upstairs he was asking me if I was struggling to breathe um very often and I was fine so I knew that he was having issues there um and irritability was at an all-time high as well <laughs> um which was really noticeable and I kept saying to him like you're being really snappy um which is often the case when he is really tired um, but I think they're the, they're the main signs, but with Stephen, as I said, it's really hard to get him to t take a step back. I think what I, in the six years that I've known Stephen, um, what I've found is that it's almost like he thinks he's the exception to the rule. Like everyone else has to do this and he'll tell his athletes to do this, you know, if they're sick or, you know, certain things, but in his case, he thinks he can't do that. He has to, he's the exception. He has to keep training. If he wants to be a world champ, he has to do, you know, if to achieve something that you've never achieved before, you have to do something you've never done before. So I guess that's what he was thinking. I guess that's where his mind was at. And he was thinking, you know, if the top athletes are training at this level and 35 hours a day, that he needs to do the same thing. And if he doesn't, he's at uh, 35 hours a week, sorry, um, that he has to do that as well. But, you know, he's not listening to his body. And I guess that's a lesson he'll learn and take away from this is listen to your body, know your limits. And not everyone's the same, but you're not the exception. You have to, you have to listen. And I think if Reedy knew and he was honest with Reedy about how he was feeling, um, he would have given him advice, whether he would have taken it or not is another thing. Um, but he would have given him advice to pull back, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, telling Stephen to do that is very, very difficult. <laughs> and so Lauren, when you were like seeing this and when Steve's snapping at you, by the way, very weird to hear Steve called Stephen. I like it very proper. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that often happens yeah. when like, you know, a, a guy or a girl have a nickname and their partner is the one person who doesn't call it them. Like so, so I, yeah. I have a friend. I have a friend who has this nickname, and it's nothing to do with his name. But then every time his girlfriend calls him his name, it's the only time I ever hear his name. Always very weird. So Stephen. Um, forget it's their real name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, when when you're seeing these things, right, and Steve's snapping at you, or you know, being a little less helpful, or he's falling asleep at a time where he usually wouldn't. 
are you saying anything to him? Are you like, are you voicing that, hey, are you sure you're not overdoing it a little bit here? Yeah, 100%. Wasn't I, Stephen? Yeah. Yeah, I was telling him, I was saying it's too much, you need to pull back if you don't have energy to even play with your daughter. You know, all she wants is to hang out with him when, you know, after a day of training and she's been hanging out with me all day and she's bored as hell of me um, and she wants to hang out with Stephen um, and, and she's just saying, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And usually at home he's, you know, he want, he's out, out you know, up for a play. He loves, that's all he looks forward to in his day, but he didn't even have the energy to do that. And I was just like, this is too much, you know, you need to pull back. You need to have a rest. You don't have to join everyone on their training just because we had people here that were um, in Switzerland, sorry, that were training with him, like training partners. You don't have to show up every single session um, because you've been here for longer than them and you've been training at a, training at a higher intensity. Um, but, yeah, he just – he and I think sometimes he would – not lie, but he would tell me something different, um, just say, you know, I'm already doing half of what I've been set to do is a big one that he'll say. And, you know, if he was doing half, there's not enough hours in the day for him to do the actual amount that was set. So I highly doubt that was the case, you know. But, yeah, as I said, it's really difficult to tell someone who's in that frame of mind um, that they need to take a step back. And I don't think anything I said would have made a difference. Um, that's where he's, that's what he was thinking would be the best thing to do. So yeah, I, I mean, I told him, but it didn't work. <laughs> the feed is your one-stop shop for all of your triathlon racing and training nutrition needs. If there's a nutritional product worth its salt that you use in training or racing, it will be on the feed. So instead of having to go to multiple online websites or, or shops or having to run around town looking for them, just visit thefeed.com and grab it all from the one place. And Steve, when you're hearing this, right, when you're hearing your partner who, you know, you're, you guys are engaged or you just got married, you got a kid together. So obviously someone you love and who you respect and they're telling you this, but you're still not listening what is it? What is it about an athlete? I think this is like there is this term. It's like a, a, like a, the arrogant athlete, which is like you sort of desc- described. They think they know best. They want to do more, 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 and and no one can sort of tell them anything. They have to figure it out for, for themselves. So, what are you thinking when you're being told, "Hey, by someone you love, I think you're doing too much. You're a bit grumpy. You don't even have the energy to play with your daughter." What, what, what what's going through your head, and, and and what are you thinking when you're being told that? I think most athletes would have been here before, especially um, some of the pros who have been through this, where they've not had they've had a DNF on the you know the big day, and then they've nailed that next race. Um, and I think you can you can not lose your mind, but you can you can get so lost in the goal that you um, you can block out most things, and you can if you're motivated enough. It's strange. Like <clears throat> I was really sore some days. But I, I was so motivated that I found, you know, new places to find that power and I would get better power. But the deep ache in my quads and my legs just got worse each time until there was probably no point of return unless I did, you know, a proper two-week taper. And I think I was one week off. So it could have been fine what I did um, given another week to – you know, let these legs come back to me. But um, but I, I had the one week because I 
you know, I was, I was ready. Two weeks ago, if you had talked to Caleb when he first rocked up to Davos and we did this session, it was, it was just a really long ride with a few efforts. And then we got off and I ran like 30 minutes at 3.15 pace and it really was pretty easy. Um, all the attitude and whatnot. And and I was like, geez, I'm, I'm ready right now. Like, but then you could, I, I could have, I wish I could go back in time and just go, right, time to maintain, do some aerobic stuff. I'm ready. Maybe do some hard swims. Let these legs come back to me now. But I just pushed again and again and again. And yeah, there was a few signs even for Dave who hosted me. He he could tell a few times. Like we went for a run on the Wednesday before I flew out to Finland and I was really battling. I was asking him to slow down or like, you know, asking him like what the pace was. And I was like, geez, 430 is hurting a fair bit. I could hardly breathe. So yeah, I'd, it's it's really hard to um, stop an athlete who's on a mission, especially one of the pros who thinks they're a chance at some, you know, doing something real big and special and it's their dream. You, um, I think you get this mindset where you don't let anyone get in the way of that. And I've learned a big lesson that I've just done a whole 12 months and all bit that it's it's all been in Australian racing. I have gone up against some incredible athletes though and I've been – first and second for 12 months now and then I do something different to what I've been doing every single prep and all of a sudden I can't even finish the race so um well I, I think you know what I could have finished yesterday but and and I hate it's it's a really I really hate it hurts more when you DNF and I hate that I didn't but the, the thing is when I recognized and had some clarity all of a sudden on that bike when we were 45k in and I was still with that main pack, but like, you know, off the back dangling at this point because I was just going backwards constantly. Um, and I just was like, if you, if, uh, you know, when I, when I finally got dropped and I was in so much pain in these legs that I just couldn't keep going, even though the power wasn't like insanely, um, you know, undoable at all for me, I, I thought if you do this run, you're an idiot because if you're in a hole, you need to get out of it right now. If, if you think of it as I'm running a business right now, I can go and do another race and do really well if I get out of this hole as soon as possible. So I had to make that decision and slowed down significantly and knew that my day, it was, it's so clear that your day is over. And um, if I'm going to do the right thing as a business, um, as an athlete, as a, like for your health, mostly as a professional athlete though, and for the family that's just invested all this time, then I've got to go and, you know, win the next few races. And I know how to do that now. I know I'm an idiot now. Um, and yeah, yeah. I think the question was how do athletes cope in this situation? How do, how do you not listen to your partner? I respect Lauren. She is the voice of reason and she always is right. She always tells me eventually, I told you so. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of without, without fault now. Every single time she goes, <laughs> I told you this. She's always right. And I'm like, you don't even a triathlete. How do you know this shit? <laughs> so, it's common sense. And, and Reedy does say sometimes Steve pays me for common sense because, um, but it's it's it. Some athletes, especially, I keep saying, especially some pros, because it's their livelihood. I guess this, and I think everyone in this sport is very, very driven. But it takes it to a whole new level when you're very, very motivated, very, very driven. Just like every 
athlete is in this sport, I think, because it's hard to pull anyone back, even amateurs or semi-pro, you know, people wanting to go pro. Um, at any level in this sport, it's very, very hard to tell someone to pull back and they're never going to listen to their partner. And it's like if you've got a partner who's a chiropractor, you probably won't even let them work on you. I don't know why. You don't trust your partner. <laughs> and um, But anyway, I think I think it's um, it's it's magnified or it's it's worse for pros because there's also also that livelihood. So you're sometimes in blocks where re- you're really you know re- something really matters to you. You've got a lot of you train with a lot of purpose and and once you get excited and motivated and it's going well, it's 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 almost like obviously it's an addiction for many, but you just get addicted to those gains and you just cannot stop pushing and you go I'll. Um, you just think you're indestructible and you're like, I'm bouncing back so quickly. This is great. And you think, oh, I'll just go another week and I'll push another session and then you'll bounce back in time for the race with a good solid taper. But, um, yeah, I've learned. It's a good thing. I Luke and Beth McKenzie were there at the um, after the race and before the race and, and they actually had some really good advice too. They've, Luke told his story on your podcast where he um, – DNF from Kona and then two weeks later, or no, a month or two later, that training did pay off. He found his training limits and that was, Beth said, you need to find your, you know, your limits in training and you've obviously found it here and you know in the future that feeling, that familiar feeling of it's gone too far um, and you quickly pull back. So I've found them now. I know what the feelings or the sensations are and I had to learn this to know you know, to know like what I was doing was pretty perfect. I'm I'm improving gradually on all three legs and I should have been happy with that because me doing what I've been doing lately in races would have been enough for a really good result at this world championship and I wanted more, unfortunately. So I was rushing the process and, um, yeah, I think Luke ended up, you know, after that DNF he told me yesterday that he actually went on and got, like that that crazy time at Busso, it was like a 750 back then, which was just incredible. And it, you know, kind of shocked a few people how, you know, how good it was. And um, so, yeah, it was like his training block did pay off and it will for me too. Um, so it's not, it's not at all wasted. I think I've learned a huge lesson. And this, I said this to one of the guys um, that I coach and he really liked it. I said, um, obviously we learn more and we get more out of the bad um, days or the bad performances. And and I'm pretty lucky. I haven't had one in a whole year. Um, so I can't really complain too much. It just sucks that it was the big one. But um, but you you do get more out of these days. I've, I've learned a big lesson and I've also learned my training limits. And now I just need to prove that I'm not going to do it again. And, and I know what works. What I was doing works. Don't have to push any harder than that. Mostly aerobic work does work for me. So I had to learn some at some point, like most athletes do. And um, luckily, you know, me and Lauren are setting this in stone and so is Reedy and me, you know, that um, you communicate, you take your HRV each morning um, and you listen to everyone around you. Hey, Lauren, after the race or maybe even during the race, as you were seeing it play out, what were you thinking and did you did you go back to, oh, I knew this was going to happen, I knew he was doing too much? Um, and then can you sort of take me into the conversation between you two when you did see each other after Steve decided to, to DNF the race? Yeah, sure. Um, to be honest, I didn't think 
think that um, it was going to be a fatigue issue. I, I honestly thought that it was a mechanical. Um, so I was just thinking, oh, my God, this is like a worst nightmare because he'd been unlike usual when everything's a mad rush and he doesn't doesn't um, organise his bike in time and he just tries to fix things himself. Um, he actually went and got his bike properly serviced, fixed up, everything was fine-tuned. So I thought, oh, my God, that's just typical that something would go wrong when he's, you know, done everything right. Um, so I honestly didn't think that it was anything to do with fatigue. He hadn't really been, um, I guess, communicating that he was still fatigued in the last two days. Um, I think he was trying to, he was in denial um, a lot and, and didn't want to admit to me that he was still feeling um, sore. So I actually didn't know that. Um, so that was, it, it was kind of a shock to me. Um, and I, yeah, I just thought there was something wrong with the bike um, and saw that he wasn't pushing, um, high, you know, he wasn't keeping up and he kept falling further and further behind. Sorry, that's Winnie. Um, and yeah, I was just, I was just devastated for him. You know, I, as soon as I saw him come into transition, he just looked just like heartbroken and it was really horrible to see. Um, and so I kept the I told you so a little bit later on in the day. <laughs> I refrained. Um, and I just sort of just gave him a hug and said, look, it's fine. Like I know that part with Stephen, um, you know, as much as it is a disappointment for him to, for himself, I think the first thing he said to um, his parents and my, me and his sister and her friend was and Dave who had had us stay with him was I'm sorry um because I know how much pressure he puts on himself because of he thinks the expectations from other people and he's disappointing everyone um but you know I think you know it it it, it didn't matter you know I we we Winnie and I got to have a six-week holiday in Switzerland so we weren't complaining um but it's just you know it's horrible to see him he's so devastated and to lose something that was so important to him and I knew it meant how much it meant and how hard he has worked and how fit he is like he you know he's been saying for so long I'm just so fit right now like I'm so excited and um everything seemed to be going right you know everything was falling into place um and so I really thought that he was in with a chance to, and everything and the race was fell into his favor as well you know some big names weren't having the best day and it was just it really seemed like a great opportunity so it was really devastating to see so but yeah after the race I just we just sort of sat down um didn't say much and just said look it is what it is um and you're just gonna have to race more in the, this year to prove yourself that you can do this um and I think he's just really upset that he came over here with the intention of proving himself in an international field. Um, Cause I know that, you know, oftentimes it has been said that he doesn't do that and that he stays within Australia um, and he, you know, can't perform in an international field. So it's disappointing. He couldn't prove that, um, that he could. Um, and that was, yeah. And I think that was probably his mindset when he was overtraining was that I need to prove this to everyone. Um, and it kind of backfired, but but yeah, so that that's mainly what we talked about. And so what are the lessons from here? Like how do we go forward? Because obviously we've got Australian racing for the next six months, but you've already won all those races. You've already proved yourself there. It's it's going to be at least six months until you can prove yourself on the international stage again, maybe even more. So how do you 
how do you sort of balance the lesson learned of not overdoing things to, to, to do that exact thing, prove yourself on the world stage, but yet you're going to be sitting around for six months sort of with that fire burning, wanting to prove yourself on the world stage? Yeah, that, uh, that, that we talked about that straight away. It, it is really disappointing that, um, that I had, it's not disappointing that I put all my eggs in one basket. I, I don't regret that. I just regret overtraining, but, um, because I could have really nailed it on the one race and done something great instead of a few good things. I said no to all those PTO races because they were going to complicate me going great at the 70.3 worlds. Um, I really, I really hope Hayden Wilde and Daniel Backyard come and do Melbourne. I really hope people recognize that there's a lot of championship races in Australia next year and they can maybe come over in late, late this year and, you know, lift the, um, points and lift everything in this in this area but yeah we even talked about is there any races i can go and do internationally now to um to go and show show this instead of the aussie races but what i've i have i have learned a few times as well that keeping it simple and not letting points and rankings dictate everything and proving yourself dictate everything is probably the best move so i will I will go home and I will just try my hardest not to let this get to me. Um, and I am very confident with where I'm at. I am very confident that I can, um, you know, do what I think. I, I'm very confident I can compete at this level. I don't need to prove it to anyone um, but myself. So I'm, I'm happy to wait now. I've realized it would be silly for me to go and, you know, plan a last minute trip. I've done it before. It, it never goes well. That's why I didn't. That's so why I didn't say yes to the PTO races. I didn't want to ruin 70.3 worlds and, you know, rock up last minute. And I have learned that you should probably go fly business class and invest properly and have a sleep and put your legs up. It's it's going to cost way more, but stuff like that is probably what the top guys are doing. And that's why they can maybe travel around a bit more and do well. And um, so, yeah, I've, I, I've learned heaps on this trip. It's been so valuable. Um, and can I just say, um, before... I just talk about my race and how it didn't go well and how I think I'm good enough to go well. I just want to say those German guys, this course did suit them, of course. This was a this was a strong man's course, but they did so well. I wanna I wanna say that um I would have with my tactics and my prep, I probably would have been on my best day just staying in that man pack. And that would have been my tactic anyway. I wouldn't have if I had the legs, which I wouldn't have, those German guys have some serious bike legs and that course, let them show us that. Um, and I want to say that I'm, I'm really proud of like their achievement. I think it's incredible what they did and they've taken bike riding to another level in this sport. And it's really cool and gives everyone racing them yesterday, a lot of motivation to, to go, all right, well, this is where you need to be. Let's lift again. So, um, yeah, I, I liked being a, in the race and just seeing, you know, how that look, what that looks like and what you need to do next. And, um, and also thanks to everyone who was messaging myself and they messaged the, the, how they, oh, sorry, the, the triathlon hour, um, podcast, um, asking what happened to Steve. It, it, you, you go about your business in this sport and you, um, you're always training alone. You know, you have a huge team around you mostly as pros and, uh, you don't realize how many people, um, you know, are looking forward to seeing you do well. So that was really nice. It was, um, but I really do 
do and did want to recognize these guys who did well and 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 also those guys who didn't have a good day and and went and finished it off like Lionel um Sam Long Christian that was awesome to see I really liked seeing Christian finish that race off in you know I don't know what position way back um good on him like uh, that's that's the old me would have um like the PTO Canadian Open just continued to to finish even though I was last place and Henry Schumann was walking and still beating me. <laughs> so <laughs> I used to race sick and just push through anyway. But um and I respect it massively, but it but in this very moment I don't regret my decision to pull out. I think if I'm thinking about the rest of the season and um getting out of this hole, it might be different if I wasn't in a hole and if I just had a you know a, a penalty that was um or you know something else that was stopping me from having a good day, I definitely would have continued. But um recognizing that I was in a massive hole. Um, I need to get out of it as soon as possible. So, um, yeah, congrats to everyone who did smash that race. It was a tough man's course. And I, I, I honestly think um, it suited those blokes, suited their strengths. There's going to be different courses that will suit me, like maybe Taupo next year could suit Aussies a bit more. Um, but this suited the Germans. So I do actually think my best day, I would have come out of that main pack um, and I probably was racing for, for, you know, fifth place or something, um, at, at best. So it, I would have been absolutely over the moon with, with that course and who it suited. And, and if I had done something like that, um, I don't, I just feel like those Germans, I can't take it away from them. There was no beating them yesterday. That was incredible. And, and the course was really, you know, but they, they, they took the race into their own hands. So that's the difference as well. They, um, they really took that on. And, um, I do think with the tactics I was going to employ that I would have been racing for, um, for fifth, you know, like, it's like a few of those guys in the main pack who can run, you know, I don't think they were going to catch those blokes cause they still ran really well. Well said, mate. I reckon, uh, we wrap it up there. That was, yeah, it was actually great. Like I, I've never, considered having a conversation like this before on the podcast because we do we just celebrate winners and talk about winning and talk about perfect days and perfect training blocks and very very rare we even think about how many people had a bad day uh, across both the men's and women's race on the weekend but there is far more athletes who are walking away from big races like this disappointed underwhelmed flat sad upset angry about their races then there are over the moon happy about their races but we do sort of focus in and 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 narrow in on that that great performance so to hear this perspective and to hear lauren's take on it as well as someone there involved in it because how many people um, would be listening to what Lauren says and, and just relating to it and either relating to it from right. the perspective of having a partner like that or being that partner uh, i think really really interesting and something we don't hear about a lot but something that is part of day-to-day life for pretty much every triathlon household so yeah um yeah loved that chat thanks guys i also agree that um that disappointment thing like the circumstances dictate sometimes for pros um how your results can go and i someone like ben canute has had a few bad races this month or or whatever and people I hope people understand that circumstances change between athletes and he's going to have amazing days and he is going to have some average days or weeks like that because um, I think he's got two kids. One's very young now and and I just used him as an example because he did have a a tough time yesterday but he still went and finished it off and 
just admitted. I loved reading his post. He had just he wrote it well. He admitted that it was a horrible day and he hasn't been able to keep up this month in the racing with these top guys. And but he doesn't doubt that he can, and I don't doubt that he can either. But but yeah, it is, it, times can be tough, and you don't know the circumstances. So I, my I'm only going to assume that you know it, it's a lot of travel for him, and he's got kids he misses and the young one that's always tough there's probably a lack of sleep he helps out at home probably um and takes away from recovery so means that you're not going to peak all year round like some people can thanks mate thanks lauren thanks for jumping on is that your debut podcast or have you done others before (laughs) yeah that's my debut one how'd you feel yeah it was fine (laughs) rate your performance out of 10 um Better than me. Maybe seven. <laughs> Winnie was a three. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't really sort of understand what Winnie was saying, but her her voice was felt. Yeah. No, she wanted avocado at one point. Avocado <laughs> on bread. You probably heard. Yeah, and the pepper. <laughs> Sorry, I was cracking the salt on top of it. <laughs> uh, awesome, guys. So you two are off on a little um, trip to Singapore now, a couple of days off, and then back to Australia to reset. Yeah. Yeah, a few days enjoying with booking accommodation after this and then we will – I'll go to Sunny Coast alone, but I'll get back into I'll, – I'll keep training aerobically, just leave these muscles, um, you know, to, to repair but don't lose my base by doing nothing. So as long as I let, let the muscles recover, I can still train aerobically and um, that's about it. Try and switch off the phone and give the girls a lot of love. And definitely avoid the water in Singapore because – Everyone's been sick. You don't. You don't want Singapore Valley. <laughs> no, there's um, yeah, everyone. It's it seemed that way. Everyone was cooked completely. It's so funny, right? Because like on social media or podcasts or whatever, when we're talking, when we're talking about Singapore Valley and what's been happening to the athletes, we sort of undersell it. We're like, oh yeah, everyone's just been a bit sick. And then when we're messaging each other, so everyone who was at Singapore, well, every message I've had, and and I know I've talked to people who've been the same, uh, who have been the same, the messages between the people who have been who have had Singapore Valley are the most like. Oh, when you when you're reading the messages, you're disgusted by what you're reading that, with what's being described as to what's been going on in bathrooms around the triathlon world in the last week. <laughs> yeah, Sam Long said something at the press conference. He's like, "I'm surprised I've been able to sit here without running to the toilet for half an hour." And um, I was like, everyone on that panel looked at him like, "Get away from us!" <laughs> like, as in, is this something you can be part that can be passed on? But it turns out it was just the Singapore stuff. So. He yeah. was he was never going to pass anything on, but um, but yeah, he was funny. He admitted openly that um, that what was going on. <laughs> there was uh, one athlete who sent me a message who said, "I've never like I've had diarrhea and I've had gastro, but I've never before experienced not having to wipe after going to the toilet because it literally is like pee," which was the grossest oh. message I've ever received. He's like, "You don't wipe nothing. There's nothing there," which. Oh, that's Ugh. incredible that they raced and they did okay. At, you know, Sam Long raced okay. That was pretty incredible. Incredible, mate. Yeah, incredible. Oh, that's uh, an achievement. Yeah, but disgusting. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the trip. Um, enjoy the time away from the phone and, and the triathlon world and can't wait to see you back uh, better than ever. Thanks for having us, Jack. Enjoy see your trip. See you, guys. Bye. If you're someone who trains for triathlon and hasn't got yourself some form goggles yet, then you just need to. 
Everyone who I coach who trains by themselves a lot in the pool, one of the first things I've always suggested is to buy some form goggles. And I was doing that well before they partnered with the podcast or I, I even had the podcast for that, uh, for that matter. Not having them is literally, in my opinion, like running or riding without a Garmin or GPS watch or computer. And like, you just never do that. You, people don't do that. And there's reasons why, because if you're taking your training seriously, you shouldn't do that. So start taking your swimming that seriously. And uh, the, the same sort of um, approach that you take to your biking and your running, do that with your swimming. And, and getting some form goggles really helps with that because it, it's just all your data in front of your eyes while you're swimming. It just makes things so much easier. Um, and it makes you race faster. And we all neglect our swimming triathlon. So stop doing that. Use the discount code HTT15 for 15% off your goggles on Form's website.